Today, I'm having a gas with Brandon Campbell. Brandon is a composer who works in film, video games, and other media. He got his start at the legendary Remote Control Productions, the studio famously run by Hans Zimmer. He gained a broader reputation or a, a bit more uh, exposure on the circuit after working with Ramin Jawadi on Game of Thrones and other high-profile series like Westworld, Person of Interest, and uh, games like the Gears of War franchise. I also think, uh, did he, uh, Nathan's here with me always when I record the intros, uh, was he the lead composer on uh, The Letter? Is that right? To get the wrong? Netflix's Letter for the King. Letter for the Emmy. King. He won an Emmy, there you go. So he got a daytime Emmy for Netflix's show, Letter for the King. I don't get how it's a daytime Emmy if it's on Netflix. Anyway, but... Brandon is an awarded and very real film composer who has worked under the king of the castle, Hans Zimmer, and is quickly carving a path himself in the in that great part of the industry. So it was a good conversation. I always love talking to these film composers because they tell me a lot about how the thing works. You know, I've got my own kind of strong personal opinions on the world of film over the last 23 years. Um, but the thing is, they're all just a layman's observation. I've not actually worked in that part of the industry and I don't know anything about the ecosystem of Hollywood. So talking to Brandon was really enlightening, not only about the process of putting music on the film, but also just about the industry more generally. You know, he knew and knows a lot about the uh, things that have caused the upset in the economics of Hollywood that are leading to the current Screen Actors Guild strike and other, you know, things that things like that. Upset, instability. It's really, really great hearing from the front lines about what's going on there. And so why listen to me talk about it when you could hear uh, us talk about it? I'm going to pass you across now to the discussion itself. Thanks for listening, everyone. It means a lot. Anyone who's listening, it's always a big deal uh, for us here at Gas Music. So I now give you, without further ado, Brandon Campbell. Today, I'm having a gas with Brandon Campbell, a film and other media composer. I mean, let's start there, Brandon. Is the... Uh, Requirement to be able to work across different media like games and commercials, podcasts and all this kind of stuff. Is that kind of expanding or can composers exist in one medium as they used to be able to? Uh, probably both. Um, you know, there's definitely like uh, nuances or, or, or difficulties or things that present themselves if you just work on series or just work on games or just work on films. But um, I think... Uh, there's still the opportunity to work on all like those three mediums or the ones I'm most familiar with, at least. Um, if you just, you know, if you have the experience and or someone's willing to give you the, the chance on it and, and kind of help you, you know, work through the the logistical aspects of it. Yeah. Plus, you, you mentioned experience a couple of times there. How long have you been in the game now, Brandon? Uh, I started working for, so I wasn't in, in intern at Remote Control Productions, which is Hans Zimmer Studio, uh, in 08 and 09, and then started working for Mean in 2010, and then started writing full-time in 2011. So um, I guess I've been writing for 12 years now. That's a really, really cool progression. Yeah. Why, how did you get the internship at Remote Control? Because that's now, Hans Zimmer has, I think 2008 was when he became the center of gravity in the middle of film scoring that I would argue was previously occupied by like John Williams before 2005. You know, it feels like 08 with The Dark Knight was the moment that he became That was the... a big deal. I mean, listen, I think Pirates of the Caribbean, which was 03, was a big deal. Uh, yeah. Um, uh, Gladiator, which he was nominated for an Oscar for, that was also 03 or 02, was, was a really big deal. I mean, maybe he wasn't like 
you know, John Hans kind of thing, but it's still hard to argue that anyone's bigger than John today anyway. So, I mean, Hans has been this force to be reckoned with for, I'd say, uh, before even 08. But to circle back to to your question, um, it was kind of a fluke thing. I was in college, uh, was studying music just as a hobby. Um, I was was primarily focused on... um, uh, economics and finance, and I was I was playing soccer in college as well. And um, th- through a fluke connection, um, uh, someone I know that an engineer had um, was helping Hans. He was thinking about going on tour in 2010, so they hired this engineer to uh, to do some engineering, like not not audio engineer, structural engineer, to help with like that the structures and how to ship this stage and seating uh, seating across Europe. And he just happened to mention to Hans's business partner's assistant that he knew someone that was a big fan, and I'm like, I'll have him apply for an internship. So I did. So sometimes right place, right time, knowing the right people. And I say sometimes. Um, that seems to always be the case. But um, there, that used to get spoken about in a much more cynical way, the idea of being in the right place at the right time and knowing the right person, people would say, that's all it takes. And that's not the case. It's the case that preparation, you know, when preparation meets opportunity, that's the, that's, 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 you you nailed it. Is that, listen, knowing, knowing people being in the right place at the right time is still a huge deal. It's maybe with now social media and how accessible everyone is to one another. um, You could be kind of discovered on the internet type of thing, but it's still being in the right place at the right time is a huge deal. But when you're in that right place at that right time, you might you'll get an opportunity. But if you if you don't deliver on that opportunity, that's that's kind of it, right? Um, so you you know someone gets your foot in the door, but you have to you have to knock it out of the park, really. Yeah, yeah. If you get the opportunity and you don't deliver, people often say, "Well, that's so yeah, that opportunity isn't going to come around again." Not for a long time. <laughs> Not for a yeah. very long time. Yeah. So you got this opportunity at Remote Control, two thousand and eight. Mm-hmm. What, what was the what was it that you were required to do? Oh, I was getting lunch, coffee, taking out trash, cleaning kitchens. Yeah, and, and, you and know, again, I, I say that I have very fond memories from my time being an intern. It's amazing now, having been at that um, facility for fourteen plus years or whatever. A lot of interns have come through, and it's amazing. The majority of people that come through either don't care, don't take pride, are incompetent, or have a chip on their shoulder. And so they never get uh, an opportunity past that because, you know, something about their attitude or their work ethic from day one just rubs people the wrong way. Uh, what kind of chip might be on their shoulder? What do you mean I by that? I think it's like, you know, graduate college. Maybe you've worked on some indie films. Maybe you worked assisted, you know, there are, uh, another composer or something. And you think that getting coffee is beneath you or, or, or whatever. But it's, you know, you have to prove to the people that are going to give you these opportunities that um, – that you know they're going to trust you with something like delivering stems or arranging or orchestrating or preparing pro tool sessions that you could do something and and as easy as you know taking pride in keeping a kitchen clean for for a little bit yeah yeah that makes sense because um again and the same at this sort of point in time uh, i was 16 in 2008 and there was a lot of discussion about um desirable places where you would places where you could forge a desirable career 
mm-hmm. um, taking advantage of their young starters by having them do menial work. But the point you just made is kind of salient, right? Which is to say that the menial work is first of all, not trivial and it's not easy. And you have to demonstrate that you, again, as you pointed out, don't have an ego that's out of bounds before you've had to bear a responsibility. Exactly. And I'm not saying that, listen, people people do get uh, taken advantage of. And it was when I was there, I mean, they kind of got they, the entire industry shifted a little bit. But when I was there, I was I was interning while I was in college for free. I was I was, I was free labor. And yeah. but it was a mutually beneficial, uh, you know, in, uh, agreement where like, I got to be there. I got to meet these people that would eventually give me an opportunity. I got to see the behinds and the workings of film music and writing music um, to movies and, and all this stuff, especially at a time where, you know, it's more accessible now. But in 2008, there, there, you really, there wasn't a lot of information online about how this was done. And what the stuff that Hans was doing at the time was uh, very unique with the, you know, his, his sampling process and the way that he did demos and, and programming and everything like that. Um, and so I got to learn a ton, uh, yeah. experience a lot of stuff, uh, make some important contacts. And, and out of that, they got someone who, you know, ran around and, and did their biddings. So it's kind of like the, the, the trade-off there you're describing, the reciprocity is, yeah, maybe we're not giving you dollars, but you are actually getting something that's worth, that you would, that's probably worth more than what they would pay you, which is you get to have a front row seat to the top composer in Hollywood and see how it's done. Yeah, and, and and like I said, I was when I was an undergrad, um, <clears throat> I studied music. I said as a hobby, as a second major, but it was it was it was conservatory. It's very much pencil pencil and paper still, um, which is I'm happy that's the way I learned. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but um, being there and being around all that music technology and all this innovation, um, you know, yeah, I was working for free. But on the flip side, I could have gone to graduate school and spent a ton of money learning this stuff. And I, I yes. as a product of like, you know, working for free for five or 10 or 12 weeks or however long it was. Yeah, absolutely the, uh, the case. And um, you said that the industry took a big shift. And what did you mean by that? You know, I think, I can't remember what year it was, but do you remember that it hit, it was, it made national news or probably international news that some PAs were suing one of the studios for like being overworked and underpaid um, and at that point, everyone kind of like the free labor thing kind of went away. So now you have to have either get college credit for being an intern or they, they, um, or they just pay you from the, from the get go. Um, yeah. which is, which isn't a bad thing. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I know if I had entered the industry at that time where like, if they are going to hire you and start paying you right away, they're a lot more selective about who they, um, higher, there's a lot less opportunities, right? Because uh, instead of mm. being able to employ, you know, several, you know, people, you can only hire a couple of them just from a business sense. And so, you know, if someone asked me in 2008, like for my reel, like, hey, can you show us some of your music, even though all I was doing was taking out coffee, they never would have hired me. My reel in 2008 was just, was not good. I mean, I was, you know, I was, I was, yeah. my, my, my samples were stuff coming out of like finale, because I didn't, you know, I didn't know how to sequence and, and program and use samples yet. Yeah, that's interesting because I've got, uh, I've got, I have a feeling that, so you described the industry changing and it, and I think a lot of industries changed in the last 15 years to be, let's say more, um, to orient themselves in a slightly more compassionate way and, uh, what seems more fair and just, and maybe that's, that's appropriate, but these are all industries and enterprises that are trying to seek out 
the best of the best of the best. And to, as you said, if the process gets a little bit more corporatized and the pool of entrants at the beginning becomes smaller, the people who, let's say, perform better at interviews are going to get those kind of opportunities. And it has to be said, you know, people like Hans and creative industries are full of kind of crazy off the off the wall people who don't necessarily, you wouldn't necessarily interview perfectly at the beginning. Yeah. Um, what do you think about that? No, no, that's completely that's completely true. Listen, I, I don't. There's not a right answer. I, I sure. I'm all for. At the end of the day, I really believe that you know giving more people the most opportunity at least is probably a good thing. I don't know what the answer is for that, um, mm. but like you know, if you come, if you go and interview or, or trying to showcase, it's gonna the people that are gonna stand out are either the people that interview well, but also the people that have had the experience or the education to have you know well polished and sounding you know, um, music and, and it's getting easier and easier to do that, you know, at home now with like, you know, you can, you can write a film score on like a laptop, which is just wasn't yeah. possible 15 years ago. Um, but at the same time, the people that probably do that are people that have the, the privilege of studying, studying, studying music in, in higher education, which is some, you know, someone that, you know, you know, comes from like a lower income situation probably doesn't have that luxury. And then on the flip side, uh, if you're just, if you if you kind of bring in more people and you're judging them based off their work ethic and their personality and spend five weeks getting to know them while they're you know they're getting your coffees and stuff, that that makes it easier for uh, people that are maybe you know want to get into film music and are smart and talented the opportunity to like you know kind of get in that way. But at the same time, then those people have to be able to afford working for five or 10 weeks, at least part-time for free, which is also a challenge in Los Angeles. So, yes. you know, it, the problem is a lot of people want to be film composers and there's just not enough jobs to, to make, you know, to, to employ everyone who wants to do this as a profession. Right. That's, that's kind of the, again, the problem with desirable careers, right? It's like, this is, you're trying to get to the tip of the pyramid of hierarchy. Mm -hmm. And that's going to require a very, very like driven, insane kind of person who is desperate to be there and work 100 hours a week to get there. Yeah. And it's like, uh, to uh, if, the, if the process at the beginning of that is kind of softened up and it's made to seem a little bit more, um, like a little bit less strenuous to get to climb that ladder. Well, I don't know what the end result is, but as you said, the motivation is often to fairly enough redistribute opportunities to those who might not be able to afford. And it's like you might not be able to afford to work 12 weeks for free. But as you pointed out now, if you have to present a reel up front, you have to be able to afford all of this stuff that helps you make a reel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's not there's not a good answer. And it's not even like, you know, Hollywood's not an altruistic place. It's not like they're doing it because they want to be inclusive and give opportunities to everyone, even if that's, yeah. Yeah, even if that's what they, you know, want to parade around and say. But at the end of the day, they want to hire the best and most talented people. And if you get right. more people in front of you, you have more of a more options to see, you know what, I think this person it can be something special. I think this person has real talent, you know, if we just um, if we kind of nurture it. And and so I think it, it's one of those things that it's good to include people, but it works out in their best interest also to get the best people. Yeah. And of course, we're trying to serve the human race. That's yeah. who the entertainment goes out to. The customers are everyone. Mm -hmm. And so I think everyone deserves the best. And, you know, you mentioned Pirates of the Caribbean earlier. One of the things that kind of dismays me about Hollywood at the moment, well, we're going to get into more interesting stuff than just me complaining, but uh, <laughs> is that I feel like the, the, well, it's not I feel like, it's, it is the case that original content 
is in much shorter supply than it was, and we're in a, we're in a world of sequels and and existing intellectual property being licensed and stuff like Pirates of the Caribbean. It was great fun, great entertainment, family friendly, but you know also. Uh, original characters. Johnny Depp got introduced to a whole new generation. You know, it, it was such a great experience and a great adventure for everyone. And I feel like you don't get those original stories at the moment. I'm not sure why. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it's. It's there's there's a lot of reasons. I think that the 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 way that the the industry is right now, you have to like smack it out of the park to to make. The, the studios are interested in tentpole movies because that's where they make their their money. Um, and so they're willing to take less risks on, on, on things because, you know, they're putting up 500, 600, $700,000, $700 million on the line with marketing and everything to, to make this movie. And you know, it's like, oh, we could do this, you know, new big budget thing, or we can do, you know, I don't know, Terminator 12 or something, because we know that they have a, a, tra- a proven track record of like bringing in the audience. Um, yep. and part of this is, um, this isn't my idea, but, uh, who was the interview? I can't remember, but they were saying, um, that, you know, the, 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 um, DVD sales disappearing really ended up being kind of a killer to this original content idea because studios could put a movie out in theaters, make some money, but if they didn't make all their money in theaters, um, there would be this secondary market, right, where people would would uh, buy DVDs or you catch it on like FX or NBC here. Um, and now studios have to make all their money in the theater, or they're they're done, and you end up with these movies like Avatar or this new Mission Impossible, um, where they have to make eight hundred million dollars to break even. Avatar had to be like I can't remember it was the fourth or seventh highest grossing film of all time just to make a dollar. And right. the studios are just risk adverse. They're not like, we're not going to take um, these 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 massive risks. And then on the flip side, so all the medium budget movies have disappeared. On the flip side, where you do get original content and stuff like Blumhouse, where their whole business market uh, model has been like, we're going to make this movie for $5 million. We're going to make a bunch of them. If we stick the landing on a, a handful of them, then it's okay that like, you know, no one, this movie that cost five, six, seven million dollars to produce, we put some money into marketing, didn't stick it because, you know, here's a movie we made for under hundred million dollars and went off and made four hundred million dollars worldwide. Um that's 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 pretty good margin, you know? Right. Right. So so one of the effects that the technology has had on our entertainment is that the um well internet speeds and storage both increased which means that you now didn't need to buy a separate piece of physical media f- to own each film. It could just be streamed in. But the problem is now, you know, uh, as iTunes kind of found out in the early 2000s, the digital file fe- feels intangible to the point where people kind of feel ripped off paying the same price for it. And so the deal became either I'm going to steal it or you're going to give me them all for $10 a month or $15 a month, whatever it is, all the movies in the world. Yeah, I don't, I, you know, I don't even think it was... The consumer that forced it this way, some, I, I don't know who the first streaming service was, it was probably Netflix, but someone realized that's like, you know what, if we just, we can get a lot of people to sign up and give us a monthly fee, if we just offer these movies like, uh, you know, on demand to them, and uh, we just kind of change it, same thing, with, same thing with music, and it's, you know, it's, there's more content, 
there's, you know, music's more accessible than ever. Movies are more accessible than ever. It's easier to, you know, there's so much content being thrown at us. But, the, you know, the dark side to that is, is that, um, you know, it's changed. It's changed the, the, the industry and how movies are financed and, and how they make money and everything. Yeah, it's kind of led to this polarization that you were describing where things either do spectacularly well and by spectacular we mean like what used to be regarded as a once in a decade success like when inception made 800 million dollars you know in 2010 everyone was like this is insane this is a piece of original ip that's kind of confusing and it's made 800 million dollars but now you're saying to break even you got to make that kind of money yeah, like mission know. impossible which I, I think will it's gotten amazing reviews and i know some people that worked on the music worked incredibly hard on it uh and are raving about it but that movie has to make close to a billion dollars yeah, it, it I mean, and if like if it only made five hundred million, which would have been a grand slam ten years ago. I mean, if any film made five hundred million dollars, even a big budget one, that would have been, I don't know, profitable territory. You're losing hundreds of million dollars now. Wow, wow. Okay, so it's actually so uh, it's it's reasonable to be a little bit more, let's say, lenient on the studios producing this stuff because they're under a kind of unmanageable amount of sort of uh, like they have to take a risk up, i wonder what the budget for pirates of the caribbean one was or of the dark knight that was 08 um they were big those are big budget movies but they're kind of dwarfed today by today's big budget movies yeah i know that when avatar was made it was spoken about with like it was an excessive unbelievable budget of 200 million dollars thereabouts yeah yeah the first you know, and that was like yeah, yeah, the first yeah, one, the exactly. One, that was regarded as the biggest. Just, I think the production budget, I, I don't know. I, I remember reading somewhere that it was like over 400 and then all the stuff they pushed into marketing. Yeah. And so, I'm just going to guess that Pirates of the Caribbean was made for like, I could be wrong, but I'm going to guess it was made for like $80 million. Right, yeah, and it, it was likely stuff, to be in that, that territory. My, that's my best guess is like, and like, that's pretty amazing. Okay, and so were you suggesting that a lot of this comes from marketing because i want to get into into the craft and obviously my world is is a dwarf version of your world which is composing for screen we compose for uk commercials here at gas and um as you can see it's all done here in the box mm -hmm. and i think one of the major contributions i was going to say the major contributions that hans made but or perhaps the transformation that hans was ready for was the movement from writing notes on paper and recording them to doing it in Cubase, you know, he was ready for that critical mass because he had been I, such a pioneer. I think he like, yeah, I think he helped pioneer that. Yeah. I really do think he, he... So you really think he was like an originator of this way of working? Yes and no. I, I'm, I'm not going to say that he like literally pioneered it, but he's the one that made it like the industry standard because right, right. you could, before that, um, you'd hire someone and... It's kind of hard to know what the music sounded like. And as early as like the, you know, I mean, Hans only started in the late 80s, but but even probably in the late 80s, but I know his like demos from like the the, the mid 90s and stuff, he could accurately represent what this was going to sound like at the end. And then as a result, then it's like, oh, oh, I don't really love, and this is part of the reason that we run around doing fixes all day. Hans is also, you know, part of the 
part of the reason that there's just nonstop fixes now in, in film music is that um, it's like, oh, here's the music. This is what it sounds like. Oh, you know what? I wanted this to be a lot more like intense. Is there a way we can make this sound more intense? Because when you just play on the piano, you're like, well, I guess that will sound intense when you have like yep. things, strings getting dissonant and drums and everything. But now you can actually hear it. It's like, oh, can we make this more intense? And I really don't like the sound here. And can we change this? And I just wanted the whole back end to be bigger. And then you'd be like, okay. Then he'd go back and do all these things and they tweak and change and tweak and change. Um, until that's what people kind of expected until it became more of much more of an actual collaboration between filmmaker and composer about, um, you know, what, what, what their, the, by their, I mean, the director's vision was musically for, for their project. Right. And that's surely, well, that must've changed things in such a way that there is much more time spent on each project because what you just described is very labor intensive. You have to, and we have to do this as well because our clients, people who, who commission commercials are not from the world of media production. You know, they're a step away from that because they were, they are from the world of brands and, you know, manufacturing and um, often. So, you know, you have a marketing manager talking to an ad agency and they're just, again, they're getting what they perceive as a finished soundtrack on the first demo. And, you know, they could be like, I don't, yeah, I don't like any of that. Can we change the way it feels? It just feels too sad. And I wanted the whole thing to be, and so you have to rework an entire score. Is that what it's like in Hollywood now? Like at the highest levels? Yeah. And I've done, I haven't done many ads, but, um, I did do a Super Bowl ad spot for Toyota. Nice. And it was, it was different, but the same in a lot of ways. I remember like, you know, I wrote version two for them. They have like 19 days to finalize music. And so day two, I wrote version two and uh, they're like, oh yeah, this is really working. And they're like, cool, cool. All right. Well, since we have time, can we just try something completely different now? And it's like, what? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. And so I spent the next two weeks of like every day I'd do like a new version and like, okay, you know, the strings of piano, we, we, you know, that's what we asked for really want warmth. And then could we try like an all electronica version? I'm like, okay. And then not surprisingly, what ended up in the commercial was pretty much version two after I did like 11 or 12 versions or something for them. So they got they got you to make like a safe version to have in the tank, and then we can be creative and experiment. That's, after that's that. what it worked. That's how it worked with them. Yeah, I you know I, like I said I don't do a ton of ads, but that's what was just like uh, that's exactly what it was like. It was like oh well, this works, but we have time. Let's just keep working on stuff. And I was like, okay, interesting. Uh, in, <laughs> in the film world, it, it's a couple things now. Now that um, we don't work with physical film anymore, uh, everything's digital. There's no picture lock, you know, that that's just that's not something that really happens anymore there, especially on the big budget movies. It's in a constant state of like edit and flux the entire time. So, you know, on some of these bigger movies, I'll get a we'll get a brand new turnover of reels or at least some of the reels every day, every single day. You get a new reel three, open it up. The scene that you just worked on 13 seconds shorter. It's like, okay, you, you can form that play it for the director. He or she has notes. You come back to work on the fixes, uh, you get a new reel three, and now it's like 40 seconds longer. Or the scene that you're working on in reel three is now like a flashback in reel one. It starts off with this flashback and changes what the music needs to be doing. And that's part of the reason on these really big movies that these composers have these massive teams is because there's just not enough hours in the day to um, chase the picture, do the fixes, and write the music. It's just it's just a, a mountain of work that like just exists until like you get up to the dub or at least record the orchestra or something. Right, right. And then by the time, so 
the music gets locked once it goes into the dub stage, not before. And it, it, it probably gets edited at the dub stage. The music editor's there, and it's like, you know, a new VFX shot comes in while they're at the dub. I mean, it's there's so many moving parts and picture, things are always changing that, uh, you know, in an ideal world, yeah, when you record orchestra, that's locked picture, locked music. But a lot of times there's there'll be a couple scenes at the dub where, like, the music editor has to extend uh, the scene's been extended via VFX four seconds or they've cut out two seconds. Now you've got to, they, they're editing. That's why we deliver stuff in stems, uh, like in the major food groups, so that they have more control over editing the music. So you might be delivering, um, sorry, one of my producers is texting me and it's an unimportant text. Why have you done this yet? He's going home. He's, he's done his bit for the day. Um, <laughs> um, so one of the things that people who are kind of mere spectators with regards to film who can kind of sense that things have changed but they're not quite sure how in, in, in certainly my lifetime, um, well, one of the things is that this technological improvement has affected everything across the board. Now we expect VFX changes and new, you know, new, like you say, new VFX on the fly. Can you change this? And it can be changed uh, while you're in the dub session, for example. Yeah, music is music is being changed at the dub. So, you know, on a big movie, maybe they dub for three weeks or something and then they'll print master on the last day. And, you know, on week three, the beginning of week three, they could still be moving music around and and Do you ever hear one of your scores and be like, that's different to how I submitted it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely <laughs> happened before, you know. Yeah. yeah, so, okay, well, we've spent a lot of time on, 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 on the industry and the, and, and the culture and the trends there, so, but let's get more into, you know, your angle, your, angle, your life and the perspectives that, 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 that you hold. So, you know, you, a lot of people, if someone, if someone asked me what's the way into being a film composer, my instinctive response without doing any further research would be probably composer's assistant. Is that still the way that you get into it or is it a bit more complex? I think it's, I think it's more complex. I mean, I'm very biased, right? That's how, that's how I got in. I was a, I assisted Ramin Javadi, then I was his writing assistant, then I went off on my own. And, and then, you know, he did the same thing. He worked for Klaus Bedelt wrote for Klaus Bedelt, wrote for Hans, did his own thing. Klaus, I think, assisted Hans, wrote for Hans. So, you know, my whole world uh, was like composer assistance, mentor, mentee system type of thing. Um, and that also kind of explains the relationship there between Klaus, Ramin, and Hans. They kind of, their, their sound in my mind was always very similar. Klaus did Pirates 1, Hans does Pirates 2, Ramin does Game of Thrones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, but that's definitely, you know, if you ask even at the people I know who have similar journeys, like how do they get into film music? Every single story is going to be different. Yeah. Um, and, and, and uh, you know, I get because I get asked this question quite a bit, especially because I, I teach a little bit um, once every like two years at Columbia College of Chicago or sometimes in my alma mater. And just like a day, like a lecture or something. And people will always ask, like, well, how do you get in? And I'm like, there is no there is no great answer there. I mean, some people, you know work with the right student director while they're in college. And, yeah. you know, that director becomes, you know, get, does a, an indie film that's a pretty big deal and you get hired to do that, that, and then they get hired. Like, look at like Ludwig and Ryan Coogler. Uh, I had them in mind while yeah, you were saying that. that's like, that's the perfect example. College, Fruitvale Station, Black Panther. I, I think Creed was before there, but it's like student, successful indie, studio film. And then, and then, and then blockbuster tentpole Oscar winner. 
<laughs> yes, know, yes. A very succinct tra- trajectory also. Um, or the yeah. unusual case of Danny Elfman, who Tim Burton loved his band Oingo Boingo so much that he said, you have to do my soundtrack. That's that's exactly it. Or or um, there's a couple of composers that were music editors for a long time. Um, right. And uh, um, Mark Strydenfeld, I think that's his name, was Ridley Scott's, Ridley Scott's music editor. Um, and uh, for a long time. And then on one film... Really was like, well, why don't you just try that? I think Stephen Price was also a music editor. So music editing is another way. There's, um, I know there's composers that like, you know, they kind of got known because they had a YouTube channel where they, you know, yeah. did mock-ups or reviewed orchestral libraries or just talked about film music. But they, you know, they wrote music, obviously. And, and they demonstrated that, that, expertise. That led to like opportunities for them. Um, so mm-hmm. th- there is no, there is no way. And, and yeah. like one thing I can say um, to anyone that like watches this and is interested in getting into film music, whatever way you think is going to work out for you, whatever your plan is, you have to be ready to deviate from that plan often. <laughs> um, yeah. Because I, I don't know anyone that thought I'm going to do this and then and then exactly that plan they executed and got where they wanted to go. There, yeah, yeah. I mean, so many curveballs and roadblocks and, and 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 hurdles and things that you have to skirt around or get over or opportunities that present themselves you never thought. Um, yeah, that uh, you know, it, it's you just have to roll the punches, kind of. And it's keep, kind of taking. Sorry, go on. And, and, and roll the punches, kind of, and keep uh, keep doing good work and impressing people. Absolutely, that it it's, it really has taken me this long to realize that life, that those things, when things deviate from the plan, I used to view those as like intense error messages, uh, as fail- failures, right? And mm-hmm. it's like, no, the advent, that's where the adventure of life is to be found in like, you know, rolling with the punches and ducking and weaving and attacking at the right time. That's what makes it an adventure. Because if you looked back at the end of a well-lived life and were like, well, it, it, I planned it, and then it went exactly as planned. It's like a pretty boring story. When you it is it a pretty way. boring story. It really is a pretty boring story, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so let's talk about you and how you broke out. So if um, again, if I was imagining it, I'd be like, you, you've got to be a composer's assistant. But then what happens to get you the job the top when you're actually the name composer um do you just bug people and go i've done uh you know i've been this guy's assistant and i got a bit of music in this scene here's the scene or uh you know if if anyone has the answer to this question please tell me because i am i am i'm very i will try that um yes there once again there there is there is no answer i can tell you how it's worked out for me um i went to go intern at Hans's place very quickly um, after arriving, um, Ramin Javadi was looking for a new tech assistant. Um, I got hired by him. And then pretty quickly after that, he, he brought on a show called Person of Interest uh, that he was too busy to work on. Um, so he was going to farm out some of the the music to, you know, someone that, you know, had was writing additional music and, you know, tried and trust, tr- tried and true, but wasn't get, you know, wasn't busy with their own work type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had done some small arranging stuff for him on another show called like breakout Kings. And so he's like, Hey, do you want to try a couple minutes on person of interest? And I was like, yeah, I do it. And so I did that. And, um, and he's like, Oh, this, you know, this is really working. Do you want to try like writing like half the episode and then we'll hire, you know, this other person to do the other half. And I was like, yeah. So, 
they give, he give you a couple of minutes to do, knowing that if it didn't go well, that's still only so much that he can pull it out of the fire he, if it he needs could, to. He could, exactly, he could uh, jump in. You know, he, the person he was planning on hiring, you know, he, they, they, he would have, I'm sure, notes for this person as well. But, like, he knew this person would deliver because this person's been working in the industry for years and years. So it's like, yeah, here's a few minutes. In worst case scenario, you, you drop the ball and Romina has to stay a couple hours late uh, that, that week. Um, you know, instead of leaving at like nine, leaves at like 11 p.m. Uh, but, but, you know, easily gets the easily gets the work done. Then it turned into and it's not like he didn't have like notes for this. It was just everything was in a pretty good shape that like and I'll explain it in a second. I was like, do you want to do half the episode? And he's like, I was like, yes. And so that week I finished half the episode and then he listened to it. And I'm, I, I haven't really talked to him about it, but I'm guessing the thought process is like this is all very close. And then he told me he's like, why don't you go find a tech assistant to replace you? And just, why don't you just pretty much take over the show right now? And I was like, okay. And so what happened, um, especially in the first couple episodes, because it was, that was like a big shock for me. That was still like, I mean, it was a network TV show where we recorded live strings every week. So from the time I got the episode, I had four and a half days to deliver 35 minutes of music to the orchestrator. Holy shit. Yeah, and I was just starting writing. So it was just like just in like yeah, to, to those to those who might be listening to sounds weren't completely established. So it was just like just a, a tidal wave of work that like <laughs> I was not ready for. But anyways, uh it was it was close enough so that like if say we send stuff to the orchestrator on like Tuesday morning, on like Monday uh afternoon, he'd come in, sit down at my desk, we'd go through the cues and he would just quickly fix and tweak everything to where he thought it was good shape, especially those first couple episodes. Right. Um, and, uh, and that's how, like, that's how I started writing full time. And, and then I was kind of doing person of interest. Game of Thrones came in uh, we did some movies. Like when we got movies, I, I take on like 20, 25 minutes from the, from the film. I helped on the video games. And then, you know, I'd been working, I'd been writing like three, four years. And I think my first, Actually, I did a feature film before that, but I, to be honest, it's been so long now and it was such a not wonderful film that no one saw. I don't even remember how that came in. But mm -hmm. I did my next one, when that was my first one that was like actually released somewhere, um, was called The Thinning. It was supposed to come on YouTube's like streaming service, which they've now since scrapped, but it was produced by Legendary. So it had like real studio weight behind it. And the director um, was dating my girlfriend at the time's uh, best friend. So, like, my girlfriend at the time's best friend was the director, and um, he had hired me on, like, a short thing before. That's how I met him. And then he got this film, and he was like, he, that's he brought me in that way. Um, and then, you know, uh, you know, I did some other work that was kind of on and off. And then I think my first thing that Ramin got with me is, um, and the game's still going on today, ironically. Uh, there's a Amazon's first video game is called New World, Amazon Game Studios. And it's a big MMO RPG game. I don't know. I've probably written like 500 minutes of music for it now. Wow. They, they, and over, over what span of time? It's been, it's been really on and off. It's been like five or six years. Oh, okay. So like our first, the first contract, we wrote like 180 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, in 2015 or something, they, they reached out to me and they're like, hey, we want to hire you for this video game. Are you interested? And... Uh, Ramin was probably very busy at the time and was like, yeah, I am interested, but I don't have time to do this on my own. Um, 
you know, if you want to hire me, then I want to bring on one of my guys that's been working with me for years, this guy, Brandon Campbell, to help me like co-compose the music and we'll do it together. And, um, but you know, I'll still be very part of, the, I'll be a big part of the process and, and all this stuff. And so that's how, um, I got, um, that, that like the, my first video game on my own. And then I'm trying to think I did some more stuff with this director. Then it was, then it's kind of re, like, you know, pre-existing relationships. So that director from the thinning, there was a sequel to the thinning. He did this really great dramedy, like an indie dramedy. Um, and then he's recommended to me to his other director friends over the years when they're like, Hey, you know, I need someone, you know, you know, who, what composers do you like or whatever? He's always recommended me. Um, and then, you know, what else? So I did a show called Pacific Rim, the black. This is now this is 2019, I think. But the, the whole point of all this story is that it, there's a thousand different avenues that things come in. Um, Pacific Rim, the black had nothing to do. I worked, Ramin worked on Pacific Rim, the first, the feature film. Um, and it had nothing to do with that, ironically, which is kind of a bummer for me. I wish it was some other IP that didn't have like, that was part of my past. But um, the the head of music for Legendary TV um, told me in 2015 or 2014 or whatever year I did the thinning, you know, um, hey, I really was impressed by your work. I got to find you in, to get you in for something, which is like how a lot of things happen in Hollywood. And so, you know, you you hear that all the time and people don't really mean it. I was like, okay, thanks. Um, but he, he, I, I checked in with him every year. I was like, Hey, you know, how's it going, Chad? Like, do you have anything going on? It's like, Hey, listen, we just completely revamped everything. Nothing's even in pre-production. I, I really am thinking of you. We just have nothing right now. And I kind of heard this for like three years and I was kind of like, yeah, it's just, he's just another guy that's, you know, you know, um, you know, blowing, blowing smoke up my ass type of thing. And then one day I get an email from him. He's like, hey, Brandon, we finally have something going on. Pacific Rim is in pre-production. The showrunners are, you know, are finally thinking about music. I'm going to put you in touch with the showrunners. I had lunch with the showrunners. The showrunners were like, hey, it was really nice meeting you. There's some other composers we want to interview as well. We'll get back to you. I got back to the studio that afternoon. I got a phone call from them or my agent or Chad. Someone, someone reached out to me um, and was like, Hey, you know what? We were really impressed with your meeting. We'll just let's just move forward with you. And I was like, that was that was cool. And then the, the other way I could think of is just like actors go out and audition. There's open calls sometimes for films, pretty pretty often. And like, so my agent will call me like, Hey, Universal's looking for you know you know a kind of more up and coming um, composer for like this uh, you know this like lower budget action movie that they're planning to release this summer. And, um, you know, you have a great reel for this. I've written all, you know, you've written all this action music that's contemporary and sometimes electronic and like, you know, they're, they're temping the mute, the movie with like, I don't know, with Westworld. And it's like, I thought of you because you worked on Westworld. And right. so you put together a reel of your, you know, your previous music that you've written that is kind of in the style and they send it off with like your bio and list of credits. And then someone sifts through, I don't know, they must get like 50, 60 submissions from all different agents all over town. And they might they might just pick three out to meet with, with, with those composers and, and then hire based off of that. Do you ever see temping being done in a creative, an interesting way, as opposed to uh, what you described there, which is, you know, borrowing the music from another piece of media and kind of sticking it on this piece of media. Obviously the, well, not obviously the example I'm re that's really in my mind is when they tempt uh, star Wars with opera and classical music. With Holst, yeah. yeah. And, yeah. and I think John originally got hired to just reorchestrate Holst. 
the planets. Right. Uh, and John was like, listen, I'll do that, but let me try and write something for you. And, yeah. and that's how we ended up with Star Wars. And that's why it's so heavily influenced by it. But it, but it is, you know, very much original music. Um, I know that people have gotten gigs because of what they've tempted with. You know, the way that Hans and Chris Nolan used to work, and I'm not saying that they're the first ones to do it. They're certainly not the last ones to do it. I know that other people have worked that way now. But like you talked about Inception earlier. Um, that's a good example is that I, probably before they started filming or as they were filming, as soon as, you know, Hans had his first conversation with um, Christopher Nolan, read the script, they just started talking about ideas. Hans started writing these massive sweet pieces, 20 minute suites, an action idea, you know, some big like emotional suite, just tons of music, probably wrote, I don't know, probably hours of music and just turn that over to the music editor. And then when they, they're temping them, the, when they were temping the movie, they tempt a lot of it with music Hans had written for, you know, based off the idea of Inception. And, and, and it's very, very intelligent way to use all this tech. Yeah. And so, and then, you know, it was some poor soul's job to then conform all this because the the, the music editor on Inception's Alex Gibson, very, very, very talented um, music editor, was, um, <laughs> you know, that you'd get back these sessions. So it was like, they, he'd temp in the music that Hans had written and then it would just be approved. Like they're like, this is working perfect. And so they'd get back to, we was like, we still need to record all this music. So they'd get back these Pro Tool sessions from Alex where like he had taken like maybe the drums from like the action idea and put it over like one of the main, uh, like the like maybe the main theme or what, I don't know how Hans approached the actual like thematic aspect of it, but like, let's just say over the main theme, but the main theme was slowed down 8 dB or something to match the tempo of the action thing. And now, so now you have two different things. So someone has to sit there and recreate in MIDI what the music editors made in audio, what's approved, so that then you can record all, so you have the correct tempo and note information to record all that stuff live. That sounds like a really frightening task. And, but nonetheless, again, a very intelligent innovation, the kind of innovative work that you were saying has kept Hans Zimmer at the head of the pack. Instead of temping the film with existing music, it's like, I've written you a load of music inspired by the ideas. There you go. Come back to me when you've cut it to the film. Yeah, and then there were things that need to be writ written to picture, obviously. But um, um, but then on the you know on the flip side, it, it it's a cool way to kind of approach the marriage of, of film and, 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 um, and music. And was yeah. was highly kind of effective, and and you know there's more and more people that kind of work that way today. That's very interesting. Yes, and so the idea of producing, yeah, a a a, a large suite of moving parts, which can then be narrowed down, it's kind of reverse engineering the typical process, which is trying to go from scratch from the blank canvas. Um, and it kind of I could hear the influence of that in Tenet, which Ludwig did, of course, which sounded like. Uh, the brief for Tenet was, you know, make something Hans-like because obviously Hans was busy on Dune. And we don't want to just make this whole conversation about Hans, but nonetheless, I heard these kind of, you know, re reversing sounds in Tenet and obviously the whole thing's about time crossing over and reversing. So I was like, well, that sounds like the kind of thing that you would write in abstraction, you know, before you've come to the movie. So, um, but you've mentioned a lot about music editors. And for those of our audience who are perhaps less up to speed with the terminology of, this industry uh what is a music editor's purpose is it as simple as it sounds where it's like imagine a film editor but with music you're taking what exists and trying to fit it more accurately or, or what yeah there's different style music editors but their their main job 
is a couple things. Their, their main job is they, they temp the film. So they're, they're tasked with temping, temping the movie. And then they're there really to help, yeah, uh, keep up to, up to date with all the picture changes and help facilitate the composer, like, keep things in sync. And they're the ones at the dub if pictures still changing that are fixing things after, you know, recording's been done for the most part. Um, they could do on TV shows. They handle, you know, there's just no, especially on network TV shows, there's just no time. You know, a uh, person of interest was, I guess, four and a half weeks, four and a half days to record and then a half a day to, um, to mix it and then it went a dub for three days and you're already on the next episode. So at the dub, when the showrunner was like, you know what, I wanted to really hit this moment more. The music editor is like, OK, I'm going to grab like this big, you know, temp roll from later on in the queue and a simple splash and kind of, you know, find a way to get out of the strings and really punctuate this moment. So they do those kind of fixes. Um now, music editors, they, they do a lot of things. I mean, uh, um, some of them are very technical and, like, really are almost creating, like, um, additional music from the music you've written by the way that they're able to edit and manipulate and stretch and loop and, and, and um, you know, man- manipulate the, the audio. And some of them are much more like, um, how do I want to describe this? They kind of... Um, they just keep help every. They help everything move along, or they shield the composers from the directors. Sometime where, like, you know, some directors want to try a thousand things for timing, for timing's sake. And instead of the composer just having to meet with the director every day, be like, oh, when have we tried like the violins coming in here, or four seconds later, or two seconds later, and all this stuff? They'll go through all this timing stuff until the director finds out whatever he or she really wants and likes. And then that message gets really back, relayed back to the composer who's able to continue writing or moving forward on the score instead of just doing this, you know, two-day exercise of, of moving things a couple seconds back and forth to see where exactly it should be. Um, and then other ones just kind of help, you know, facilitate the entire collaborative process where they're there with the director every day in the cutting room they're trying to help sell the music in an ideal world, sell the, sell the director, you know, your music as the composer um, or, you know, decipher what exactly the director wants when they're like, Oh, this isn't working. And it's like, okay. And but the music editor could kind of dig a little deeper and be like, well, what if we tried something like this or tried something, you know, they're just there to help us, you know, get to the finish line. And it's a really very, very important job. Yeah, because it sounds the the name, the term, the title, music editor sounds like it's subordinate to the composer. But everything you described there makes them seem much more like if you're in like a you know a multiplayer FPS game, mm-hmm. uh, is that is like they would be the heavy, the ones who were there to kind of do a lot of the really like a quite hard, laborious work and protect from the director or stop things going back to the composer that sh- don't need to go back there. Yeah, that, that's exactly tr- correct. And like, you know, composers get a lot of credit for, you know, for being like the, you know, the, the head of the music um, aspect of, of films and everything. But it, it, it really is, that's a cool thing about filmmaking in, in general is that we really only do as well as our, our weakest link. And so, you know, if you don't have a great music editor, you could be writing amazing music, but it could be getting thrown out or, or not um, not used correctly. Or, And same thing, you know, you could have a great music editor that's getting stuff approved that wouldn't have gotten approved um, if it was just you selling it yourself or, um, you know, and they're helping you stay on schedule. It's just that every 
every link in the chain is vital to meeting these insane deadlines. The composer's assistant, the orchestrator, the musicians, the audio engineer, the recording engineer. Um, it's all like, you know, if one person failed, there's a good chance then the entire, like the entire music aspect of it fails. Yeah. And it sounds as if the, um, it's not unlikely that you'll get a composer every now and again who behaves as if they are uh, the alpha of the of well, all of the music. Of, there's lots of uh, egos in Hollywood, so there's <laughs> there's it's not a place that's short of them. Yeah, there's no there's no shortage of of alpha mentalities. Uh, okay, and I imagine, but if you run roughshod around all of that team you described. I imagine that damages the relationships and ultimately that can, you know, have an effect on the work. Uh, yeah, it definitely, I definitely, there are definitely stories of, um, of talented, successful composers that are probably still working, but yeah, have like dug themselves in a little bit of hole because some people won't want to work with them. Um, same thing with directors. There's some directors that composers don't want to work with because um, they're just so insanely difficult to work with. And, and, hmm. and I'm, that happens in actors. It's, <laughs> Industry-wide, you have this issue where, like, you have talented and successful people that either read too much of their own press or too much in their own head or whatever reason and become too hard to work with, and now they work less as a result. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, that is really one of the dangers of, of, of having a, a boost in your status is you can kind of believe, yeah, I think w- without even deciding that, you can feel like, yeah, I have more importance than most of the people I'm talking to. So I imagine that's how I know. Stay guarded, it, I it, and I see a lot of it. And the crazy thing is, is at the end of the day, all we're doing is just we're, we're writing music to film. It's really not like we're not saving lives. We're not, you know, we're, we're, we're here to be part of this entertaining story or, or journey. Uh, yeah. And there's no reason to kind of lose perspective of that. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. It's uh, it's hard to... Well, when, when there's lots of money involved in something, then the scale can feel the importance. It can feel like it's more important than it is, perhaps. Um, or when you begin receiving adulation and awards. Everyone's, How have you managed- you, everyone's telling you you're great, and then you end yeah. up you end up buying it that you're somehow, you know, superior to other people in the industry or just other people in town. Um, you know, and I've, I've watched affect too many people. It's kind of a, kind of sad. How have you managed to to stay grounded despite being, well, you've won a a primetime Emmy, haven't you? I won a daytime Emmy. (laughs) Daytime Emmy. See, I'm in the UK. We don't have those distinctions over here. Yeah, I know. Uh, so, but yeah, I won an Emmy. How do I stay so great? Well, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm a huge jerk. You'll hmm. have to ask someone that works with me. But uh, I don't know. I try and like, I try not to let this become all consuming. You know, I like to think that I have a life outside of just film music. I love what I do. I love, I love movies. That's really what started all this more than anything is I, I just love for film. I love music. Um, you know, if I walked away from the industry today, I'd still write music on my own as a hobby. Um, but it's not like, it's not, I don't think I'm saving the world when I go to work. Uh, I'm, I'm, I try and be very practical and, you know, I know that there are a lot of very talented people, um, that are trying to get into this industry industry that haven't broken through yet. Um, there are people much more talented than me that aren't working as often as me. And I'm just fortunate to be where I'm at. And so I try and keep all that stuff in perspective. I understand. Um, 
this has been a, a great discussion um, and a very candid one uh, about the machinations of the industry, how it works, how you got into it. And a lot's changed in the 15 years since you entered remote control. And there's even, uh, there's a rumor, I don't know if it's confirmed, um, that Hans has bought Made of Ale over here in London. Uh, we're not in London, we're in Manchester, but over in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, so why am I saying all this? To the people who might see something like that happening and be eyeing a potential opportunity, what do you have to say for people who are just thinking about, as maybe young people thinking about pursuing this as a career? What kind of characteristics, what kind of attributes do you recommend learning or practicing? Question. Um, well, I would say to anyone thinking about getting into this industry, obviously you can kind of experiment a little bit, but if you're going to commit to this, you have to commit 1000%. It's not like, uh, it's, and for most people, and you know, there may be a couple exceptions, I don't know, but this job takes a lot from you. Not just this, not the job aspect, the, the grind and the hustle and the disappointment and like the lying and the long hours and the more disappointment. It's just, it's a long road. You have to absolutely love it and know like in your bones this is what you want to do. Otherwise, you're going to wake up one day, you know, having worked, you know, 14 hours in a row for and I'm not I'm not trying to be doom and gloom and say you are working 100 hour weeks for the rest of your life. You're not. I don't. But there'll be periods where especially if you're assisting someone at times when you're finishing a movie where there's like three weeks where you work like 100 hours every week and you'll Mm -hmm. wake up one day and, you know, it's 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 not the most glorious work. You don't get a lot of recognition for it. The pace sucks. You just wake up one day and be like, I could be doing something else and having a lot more like a healthier lifestyle and uh, uh, just the overall like um, the happier. So you have to really know that this is what you really want to do. And just remember that when you hit your tough times, which will come, doesn't matter if they come on early, middle or late in your career. They, you know, I was, I was actually pretty lucky very early on in my career. It was like fast break, fast break, fast break, fast break. And then it's like hit the brakes, you know? Uh, and you have to deal with like, you're like, I don't have any work this month at all. I'm like, I don't know when I'm going to have work next. Um, and just know that if you work hard, are talented, are easy to get along with, I don't know if it's going to be this month, next year, five years, ten years. But at some point, if you keep you know, pursuing this and grinding, at some point, you know, I don't know what it will be, but at some point, you'll get an opportunity. Nothing more than just an opportunity. And then it's your, then, and at that point, now it's when you have to knock it out of the park. Um, so it's really just tenacity, I guess, would be my, you know, a really good attribute is just, you know, keep on, keep on like, you know, working to live another day until you get that, until you get that chance, you know, don't lose and don't lose, don't lose sight of the fact that, you know, um, uh, this is supposed to be, this is supposed to be at the end of the day, fun and enjoyable and, a, and pleasurable experience for you. And don't lose sight of that. And don't. Yeah take it too don't get carried away with the importance of it all don't and don't take things too you know some some directors have a real knack of like delivering notes uh, or things sometimes that like are completely wrong in a very like respectable way you know i i think that's one of the things i do okay at you know everyone's got things they do well and don't do well and one of the things i think i do okay is like take the criticism pretty well 
some composers don't. It's like, and, and some directors can deliver like, hey, you know, I love this music. This is this is this is exciting. It's just not exactly what you know I'm I'm thinking or envisioned for the film. Um, or some directors might be like, hey, what the fuck is wrong with you? This isn't even fucking close. You know, like, you know, are we gonna have an issue here? And don't take like the the criticism or the um, you know, take pride in your music, but then if it's not working, just realize it's not working for this project. It could be great music, but this is a collaborative thing. And at the end of the day, you don't get to make the decisions at the end. You know, you're not the final say about what goes into the film. You're supposed to be serving the story, not, you know, not just doing whatever you want. And so don't take it. So don't take it so personally. If someone tells you that like this, you know, they don't like it. Because ultimately you are serving their vision and that's you are serving their vision. Mind. Yeah, exactly. So if you want to be the star, you can go try and be a director if you like. That's, there's there's a lot just, to deal with. Just, you know, become a producer and write, I don't know, pop songs or something. Or, yeah. you know, but, you know, this is, you, you, you are supposed to be enhancing the story either by playing with or against the drama or whatever, whatever is asked of you. But you, you, you're serving something more than just your own, like, artistic, you know, whims. It's... Which I'm it's sure you know in advertising. More than I'd like to admit, I try not to stick myself too much into these conversations and go, yeah, everyone's here listening to Brandon, but let me tell you about my experience. But yeah, it's basically like that, but on a fast scale. So you do a project, two projects a week. And we've got two on at the moment. One in, we've got two studios, one in each studio. Uh, both projects today, you know, we finish what we're asked to do because we work for the cre the agencies, the ad agencies. They ask mm -hmm. us to change the music and we do all those changes. Then they present it to the client and both projects on at the moment, both clients went, this is not what I asked for. What are you doing? Make it like the thing that I asked for. Because ultimately... And then yeah. it's like, well, that's like, and then you're thinking to yourself, well, that's what I did the first time, you piece of yeah. jerk. <laughs> well, the, what, what can happen is, you know, a client in, in the advertising world is ultimately they're paying big money and they've got a boss breathing down their neck to make sure that bigger money comes back. Yeah. And so, you know, they'll be saying uh, they, they effectively get to direct the work. Yeah. And the agency in the middle, you know, what they sell is we are creative producers of your content. We'll make an ad for you that will help you sell stuff. But ultimately, you know, they might want something that the client doesn't want. And they instruct us to say, they say, we've got this temp track, but really we think it should go like this. And so you do that. They show it to the client. They go, what the fuck? Where's my the thing like the temp track? And so yeah. they go, change, change it back to the way the client wants it. So yeah. that happens. Yeah. So yes, you're right. It's a similar thing. Uh, a faster pace and with lower risk, frankly, you know. Um, so, so there is that. But nonetheless, it's not about me. This has been all about Brandon Campbell, and I think you know we've got some impressive credits uh, that we've discussed so far. But I look forward to seeing where the journey goes for you in the future, man. And uh, have we got any? Uh, have we got any big big projects coming up that you want to talk about, or is there nothing that we can mention? That's a good question. What uh, I have this like sports documentary coming out on Amazon. Prime in August, and that's kind of it. That's the only thing I could talk about right now. Um, yeah, that's the only thing I could talk about right now. I'm assisting on, I'm, I'm not assisting, but I'm writing additional music on some cool, bigger projects, and then there's one bigger thing kind of lurking, but unfortunately, I those are the things I cannot talk about yet. Well, let's reconvene and talk about them when and if they, they land, but um, yeah. you know, this has been really good, Brandon. Thanks for talking to us here and yeah thanks for having me on it was great meeting you and uh keep in touch will do man let's hope we do this again 